Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant. Thank you. You notice how I very skillfully didn't uh, bring in your surname to it because I'd like you to teach us how it was the proper pronunciation of it. Absolutely. Well, it's it's very uh, difficult. Um, I was once described as Mr. Unpronounceable by a now sadly departed friend. But <laughs> the easiest way to actually sort of uh, think about it is to say all Shosky. So all Shosky. And what, what's the origins of that beautiful surname? So I have a Swedish mother. I have Polish grandparents who escaped the Nazis. And I have a British father. So essentially, and, and I went to uh, an English uh, sort of minor league rubbish Catholic boarding school. So in many ways, I'm the perfect Daily Mail hate figure. You know, I've come over here, I'm stealing your jobs, and now I'm running the country, allegedly. So uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell, Eric. You're like the, that mix of every ingredient in there. It's like, it's like the whitest of whitest of white. You know, the, you're, the most, you're the most undiverse person on the planet. Well, I was just saying to you before this call that actually, you know, what the world doesn't really need to hear from more right now is more white, privately educated, middle class men. And yet yours is now the first podcast that I've ever appeared on as a guest rather than as an interviewer. And I'll be honest, I'm really, really nervous because the thing is, when I sort of get nervous, I start to like flirt and dissimulate and sort of like push people <laughs> off course. So please just do what my therapist would say and just like totally keep me on track and just like be like, yeah, no, Patrick, you're flirting right now. Just let's let's keep on track, and then I'm really happy to to go anywhere this interview goes, Eric. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, and I'm thrilled to have you. Um, so just to just to unpack this and just to um, uh, put it in perspective for the listeners, um, you recently did some uh, work with a, a great friend and colleague of mine, Priscilla McKinney. Yeah. Uh, on I guess that was on uh, social social media and you know being social present, selling. being yeah. social selling and all of that. Yeah. So how how did that go, and how was the experience with the the, the fantastic Priscilla? I mean, it was it was it's uh, when in doubt, I always find that I need to just uh, sort of when I'm ever confused about a decision, I always just turn to like an Instagram quote card to yeah. basically as the answer to any difficult question. And I saw something yesterday that just said it may even have been from you, Eric. So apologies if I'm uh, sort of praying you in aid by, you know, by mistake. But it did basically say you'll never have as good a friend as one as you met on social media. And actually, yeah. I've never met Priscilla face to face. We've never been on the same continent together. Um, I met her through the pandemic, through this sort of initiative I set up to basically bring together people with professional skills and uh, charities and not-for-profits that needed support called Crisis Connections. And we got we got to know each other through that. And then she told me about this course. I came on the course all around sort of digital transformation, social selling, and it was really, really brilliant. I mean, the thing with Priscilla is A, she's a, an incredible human. Yeah. Um, B, she's so funny, isn't she? And C, she just really knows her onions. And so oh my goodness. actually this ability to say, look, let's try and go and build these relationships at massive sort of scale and reach. And I've never met more people internationally and, and got more business than I have through working with LinkedIn. So it's been absolutely brilliant, Eric. No, awesome, awesome. No, I, 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 I put Priscilla very much in that camp of, isn't it lovely when you come across people who are so competent at what they do, but so self-deprecating, so yeah. uh, comedic in their approach. Yeah. How because did you two meet? We 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 both we're both associated to the same company. So the 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 program that Priscilla delivers, I deliver it to a different vertical in a different industry. And we both we both hook back to Priscilla runs Little Bird Marketing, but uh, we're both associates of DLA Ignite. 
Mm-hmm. So our social selling and all of that, the, fr- the framework and fabric and all of that is the work of Tim Hughes and Adam Gray. Mm-hmm. And Priscilla and I are both colleagues for DLA Ignite. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, fantastic, outstanding. So um, great to have you here. It's been a little a little bumpy in trying to set it up. That's all my fault. Um, Outrageous we're in a pandemic. We are. We're in a, pan- we're in a, we're in a global, like, sort of, you know, like epoch-making pandemic. Eric, let's just basically cut each other some slack. It'll be fine. Thank you. Thank you. I feel as if some slack has been cut. That's beautiful. <laughs> I can relax now. So the, the sign that we, we can see Outrag Impa behind you right now, but outrage, out, <laughs> Outrag Impa, Outrageous Impact. Um, what's it all about? Because that's the reason really that we're here is, is your story and Outrageous Impact. I find phenomenal. So what's it all about? Well, thank you very much. So essentially, we are a network of senior qualitative and sort of semiotic researchers who work with organisations, everything from sort of political pressure groups, charities, not-for-profits, profit businesses um, that want to both grow their profits and um, also tackle some of the most sort of pressing social injustice issues in the world to so work with everyone from sort of Goldman Sachs to Grenfell Tower and everyone in between. My goodness, my goodness me. Right, we're going to come back to that because um, the typical form here is not that I want to get stuck in some sort of uh, tram line, but <laughs> we, 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 we put the headline up and then we, we get in the old time machine and go back to the very start. But you know, as as well as you're you're CEO, lead researcher of uh, Outrageous Impact, but you also run the Outrageous Impact podcast, right? I do. And how many have you done to date? So I've done 32, 33. So currently I've just got a a sort of three-part special on um, called Open for Business, which is kind of profiling people in the in-person market research space and kind of how they've been sort of going to absolutely Herculean efforts to um, sort of keep their spaces open and safe for participants. And, you know, actually a lot of that sort of like leadership things, you know, leading their own teams, transforming their own businesses, merging with other people, lobbying together i mean seriously if you realized quite how much had been going on behind the scenes you would uh you know be absolutely astounded so i wanted to sort of highlight some of those um series through this um sponsored series that's been great and then um you know i basically profile people who are kind of trying to change the world but also you know build profitable businesses so i've spoken to people who use vr for example virtual reality for getting boards to think differently about diversity um i spoke to a free diver called Helena Bordillon, who was absolutely incredible. And she was basically talking about um, how learning to free dive stopped her essentially, you know, taking her own life. Um, you. you know, all sorts of just incredible people. You know, last week I spoke to somebody who's in Japan um, talking about, you know, the different conceptions around working time and around activism in Japan. So really just trying to get behind the CVs, get behind the marketing fluff and just get to the people that are kind of trying to make the world smell a bit better. And my goodness, don't we need a bit of that right now? Don't we need a truckload of uh, air freshener right now? I mean, there is a little bit of, uh, there is a little bit of uh, sort of uh, badness out in the world. And, you know, the the problem is for me, Eric, is when you look and sound like the patriarchy, everyone expects, i.e. me, everyone expects I'm going to be part of the problem. So I basically spend most of my time going, yeah, 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 let's really mess up the patriarchy real bad. Or like, come on, let's abolish private schools. So I'm basically like the sort of real, like sort of, like, like I'm the real, bet noir the real black sheet that appears at like you know parents dinner parties and drinks parties when that used to happen it'd be like oh yeah yeah i went to private school but 
I hated it. I was lonely. I was sad. And then basically I was like, nobody wants to talk to this guy. Just leave him alone. So maybe that's why I've never really been invited to come on podcasts before, Eric, because it's just kind of, uh, I'm just too too much of a sort of like a moaning myrtle out of Harry Potter, you know? Was that why you started the Outrageous Impact podcast? Because you thought I'd really love to be in a podcast and maybe the only way I'm going to get one is I have my own. Um... It actually started, it's strange you should ask that because it's it's sort of, it's gone through a few iterations. But in fact, one of the very first people I interviewed was a woman that I met at a kid's fourth birthday party. She was called Steffa and she was in her 80s. She was absolutely sort of immaculately turned out. And we were just standing over, probably over some party rings or like those little pink wafers that you get, you know, the sort of the ones that like rot <laughs> your teeth Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I like you eat them and they're just suddenly like, you just get this utter hit. It's what I imagine cocaine is like. Not that I've ever done cocaine. Don't do cocaine, kids. It's very dangerous. But it's what I imagine. <laughs> do, pink that's... Wa- do pink wafers instead. Exactly. It's yeah. very Moorish. Very Moorish. There's a reason I've been 12 years sober. And um, I think, it, so I was chatting with Steffa. We were over the party rings. That's not a euphemism. And uh, basically, um, she started telling me this story. And she's, and it transpired I was the first person she'd ever told this story up to. And it had been about how she'd been a 10-year-old child in a part of Poland that's now part of Ukraine. And how in the 1940s, they'd had a knock on the door Russian soldiers had appeared at the door and said, no questions, get ready. And then how essentially her entire family had been loaded onto cattle trains and had been transported for four weeks up to Siberia, up in the north of Russia. And then this incredible seven year journey that she'd had, um, basically being separated from her father, her father being sent to a logging camp, three of her siblings dying, her mother basically standing up to the camp guards in this Siberian sort of work camp saying, you've killed my three children. If you if you don't let me work, my other child will die. And then this that the care of this child will be on you, Um, you know, parental guilt. And she had never told even her own children this story. And she told me this story first. And it just reminded me of the sort of power of personal testimony. Good Uh, Lord. Good Lord. Did she just when when she's telling you this, did she just see you open mouth with like a mouthful of pink wafer? I was well thankfully we we actually had a bit of a, a bit of a moment between we had like a a, a few weeks between yeah. uh, Wafergate as I now think <laughs> of it and like sitting in her beautiful house out I think it was out in Ealing somewhere and just basically just literally turning the the tape on and her incredible voice the, the thing was she really reminded me of my grandmother as well who'd you know been on this four-year run from the nazis as well with two young boys my, my two uncles again who are both now sadly deceased and uh, you know just hearing stepha talk and hearing my grandmother uh, zosha talk you know zofia talk and they were they, they just sounded so similar eric so it was really uh, yeah atmospheric and incredible and quite spine tingling and yeah just made me reminded me of the power of that testimony you know yeah very good very good um i, I love the image you created there and also you you sort of uh, reinforced it by saying i pressed i pressed the tape machine so i have now have an image of you sitting with a reel-to-reel tape recorder uh, and a, an old microphone sitting speaking to uh Stefa. yeah brilliant right um let's uh let's jump back in time and and work our way back so where, where did you grow up what was school all about what was school like yeah so grew up in kent um was basically local village uh, sort of primary school then went to uh the, the sort of private prep school 
in outside Seven Oaks. And Only then, child or brothers and sisters? Or? I'm one of four. One of so four. A Catholic family. Uh, right. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm the oldest uh, and probably the naughtiest. Like I would do things like sort of uh, like tell kids that if they were behind a wall of bogey, I would eat my way through that sort of thing or like punch a child at a kid's party. So I was kind of always the one being told off and just being told to like kind of do my you know play by the rules and I often think that that's one of the reasons I've become so anti-authoritarian it's just like I'm just like you know what life is too short for rules yeah. but it's strange because I've also then craved that authority as well and so you know when I went to boarding school which without giving you the full you know 18 months worth of psychoanalysis that I've gone through to try and sort of uh <laughs> literally come to terms with that shattering emotional experience um actually it was you know that very much made me go you know what you have to rely on yourself you have to um just be able to to, to have that discipline and that drive to get up and do things even when you don't want to and i would just say that you know for i know there were best intentions on all sides but i you know my strong belief now is that we need to abolish private schools and we need to abolish boarding schools because i think that actually what it does is it separates kids from families and i think it also creates this artificial reinforcement of class that is just so damaging and when you look at so many of the decisions that have been made now whether it's around embedding patriarchy whether it's around you know not tackling domestic violence properly whether you look at emotional unavailability so many of those decisions are made by leaders that went through the private school system and it just we just need to stop that knock that shit on the head right now eric so yeah just that's my sort of personal hobby horse with all of that really i mean i you know our, our, our backgrounds it's lovely that we've ended up on the screen together because our backgrounds are, are completely different i grew up mm. in the, the the council estates in glasgow and had mm. quite a rough upbringing quite nasty and mm. uh, just went through a regular sort of high school council high school and and mm. all of that but I've since worked with and formed really good uh, bonds with people who have been through private education and boarding schools and all of that. And no one's got a good thing to say about it. Mm -hmm. No one's got a good thing to say about it. And sitting fr from the outside, and I'm, I, 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 uh, I'm probably in no position to comment here, but taking a, a young child away um, who's trying to form bonds and work out what they are in the world and saying, you're going away to just mm -hmm. be on your own for, seems horrific, mm -hmm. seems horrific. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, it's it's not, uh, you know, I think for, for, for our family, it was very much about, you know, we're second generation immigrants, you know, we want to assimilate, we want to become part of the, uh, of the way in which this country operates. So it was, right. it was a rational clear-headed decision and, and and a financially difficult decision for for my parents you know I was there on a scholarship and various other things like that right. but I think you're right I think you know for me it was the, the the sort of emotional you know being alone being brought up by other kids who were emotionally immature and also the amount of physical violence that's going on I mean I was lucky it was it was not, you know, sexual abuse or anything like that. But there is an awful lot of just casual violence day to day yeah. to day in these yeah. settings. And that is because, not a because good the, environment the, the, to the, grow the, up the in. The repercussions of such are not fully understood by that young mind yet. I mean, this is Lord mm. of the Flies type stuff. People trying to mm. trying to find what they are in the in the world and violence comes into it because it's unregulated. And yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. So, mm. uh, but you got through it. Yeah, I mean... I will, I will leave that question hanging. I think right. it's what, what one, I, yeah, it's had a, a a huge impact on the whole of my life, Eric. Right. You know, 
it's colored the way I've related to other people. It's colored the way I've related to, to alcohol, to so many things. It's, it's, it's changed every as aspect of my life. And Frankly. I would honestly say that it's been the last 18 months where I've been able to just go, you know what, I'm going to commit to a weekly, you know, process of like talking this out and making sense of this, Good. that I've started to actually come to, to some sort of terms with it because you know, you don't, I think the thing that's sad is you hear people like you just said, talk about the impact of this and saying, you know, it's the worst time of my life. And yet if they're ever asked about it in polite company, they'll say, no, oh, brilliant time, loved it. Or they'll say, yeah, I'm definitely sending my own kids to boarding school. And it's just that, it's that inability to say, this was really hard. It was really painful. And I'm going to step away from that. Yeah. And I'm going to do something different. And that's what I'm really trying to do every day with my life, you know. Good for you. Good for you. And uh, yeah. Out, out, outstanding and I guess that the, the more that you do talk about it more people will will come around you and shore you up and support you and, and you can support other people as well so that's what this is all about um so so you come out of school and what was your sort of first step step into uh, the occupational world and why so, yeah so I basically worked for my next door neighbor's garage startup uh the mighty Chartland Associates so-called because his house was actually called Chartland and basically it was my next door neighbor at a little tiny garage and we were selling CRM databases in a box. Would you believe it? Software actually came in a box. You'd get like a manual, you'd get like a CD ROM. Yep. And uh, basically we're selling these things like absolute gangbusters. And, you know, it was just an incredible journey, you know, helped grow that business you know I was the third employee um, when I left there were 40 of us and we were turning over you know six odd million quid you know I actually got sacked for failing to meet sales target but that was nothing really to do with Chartland that was all because basically my then girlfriend moved to Japan and basically my heart got broken and I was like oh god oh this is so bad and it was just like I don't want to work I don't want to do anything so I became like this sort of love lawn sort of slightly uglier Ethan Hawke figure out of uh, before some sunset pining after like julie delpy actually wasn't julie delpy i won't mention the person because it's just it's the, those days are long gone but it's just kind of uh, i was there as some sort of mournful teenager i was just like i don't want to work i hate work i'm just gonna basically sack all this off so i essentially just lost the plot and then i just went through a succession of like just really crummy jobs and shout out to the absolute bellends at the conrad international in chelsea harbour i hate your guts you were horrible people. And I think the guy was called Stavros. He was like their food and beverage manager. You were such a horrible person. I hated him. He made my life a misery. But uh Stavros, if you Stavros, if you are listening, we can we can maybe talk it over. You know, maybe there's a maybe I could be a bridge builder and we could I will hunt this. you down. <laughs> I will hunt you down. I don't think he was even called Stavros, but he was called something like that. And I will literally find you. you know? <laughs> like Liam Neeson. <laughs> Let's not talk about Liam Neeson. He's had a few, uh, he's yeah, had a few he has, messy, yeah. sort of just rather unpleasant recent incidents. But I will hunt you down. Right. So, so thankfully, thankfully, you, you you took some strange left turns and right turns at T junctions in your your occupation. But something something started. I mean, looking at your profile, I look at a lot of profiles. That's what I do for a living. Um, um, is this my Tinder profile or LinkedIn? This is, one? <laughs> Both, for a friend. both holding them up uh, together um, my wife round about i would say did something happen round about great ormond street that sort of changed things for you 
Yeah, I mean, a great friend of mine who I'd just like to give a shout out to, Shona, she's incredible. She's now basically working in one of the uh, COVID hot zones in uh, East London in a hospital. And it's absolutely incredible. Both her and her husband are, uh, uh, are medics and are just doing heroic wow. work. So just massive shout out to Shona and Alex. I just love you guys so much. But Shona basically t said uh, that there was this job coming up at Great Ormond Street. It was working for the then chief exec. And it was basically kind of being like a fluffer for the chief exec. It wasn't quite described as that, Eric, but kind of the idea was like loads of celebrities and people would come to the hospital and, you know, like Yuri Geller wanted to come to the hospital. Michael Jackson wanted to come to the hospital. Let's not say any more about that. In fact, I will tell you about that in a minute. Um, uh, yeah. OK, fine. Let's move on. And basically, um, so I was there and it was sort of like bringing these celebrities around the hospital, getting to know all of the clinical staff. And it was just it was kind of like a meter and greeter role. And it just kind of started me on this path of like basically what you'd now call like public affairs or campaigning yeah. or sort of you know media relations public relations type stuff and that kind of became the, the the golden thread for my working career since really so I then spent 15 years working in a range of different sort of not-for-profits charities uh in the UK and really looking at how do you use people's stories and research to create really meaningful change and so you know I've you know raised millions of pounds worth of income um to support you know charitable causes i've changed the law a number of times i've changed professional practice so for example got new clinical guidelines developed for the treatment of childhood um, stroke in the uk there were two warring groups of doctors that because one of them had developed this set of guidelines and the other didn't like it they didn't talk to each other so i helped sort of broker a piece between the two of them and raised a load of money um, from somebody with a really interesting backstory that i won't go into but it was quite interesting to basically then fund the creation of new guidelines and that now means that approximately 400 children a year are correctly diagnosed when they do have stroke so it's kind Fantastic. of saying can you use research to create socially useful outcomes and then just finally just to say also been a very scared but quite enthusiastic sort of activist at the same time so going and doing things like occupying police stations trying to get myself arrested at concrete factories um, around the environmental sort of climate justice movement running roadblocks through the center of london being dogged by police helicopters that sort of thing um, going to refugee camps and getting harassed by french uh you know security guards and this sort of thing so always trying to go to where the where the the scene of the action is as well why there are lots of people who have gone through boarding school got themselves in a nice corporate job um hunkered themselves behind a big wooden desk and uh got loads of staff lovely salary final salary pension shares all of that and um, probably a lot of your 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 fellow students have gone through that kind of road why have you taken this more difficult challenging road where you where you feel the need to help people yeah, so just to say I've got none of those. Uh, so I, I just keep on thinking I've made like a massive error. So like I should have just basically, I should have just used the benefit of my education for pure self-enrichment. <laughs> Eric, what a fuck up. Am I allowed to swear on this thing? I hope so. If not, just beat me out. Oh my goodness. What, what my a mistake. Goodness. Okay, so. But, um, You're the first person to ever have a realisation and a breakdown that your life's a mess. No, not at all. Not at all. But, no, but it's fine. It's, 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 it's strange because there are two values that really dominate my life. The first is, is, is sort of fairness. Yeah. And I think that definitely comes from the boarding experience of just like feeling like 
there's so there's so much that is unfair and out of your control and so fairness is a massive driver for me and the second is that i really believe in freedom and i believe in right. that ability not unconstrained freedom not like a weird sort of libertarian freedom but i believe in that ability to follow your interests to follow your passions to be able to go where the action actually is and i think you know my grandmother was a massive on my dad's side was a massive inspiration i mean when the second world war kicked off she basically you know they'd been basically aristocrats in in the south of poland they owned land right. my grandfather was a was a ship owner um you know they had this eight bedroom sort of wooden built house that was like kind of like a polish wooden downtown abbey i mean it's yeah. kind of a bit weird but kind of a bit like that in massive grounds they'd have like sort of prussian cavalry officers land on their on their tennis court in sort of biplanes that sort of stuff was going down Frikey. and then the second world war comes and on day one my grandfather is in amsterdam with all his ships and he signals for them to move across to the allies and he basically gets on one of the last ships to go across to the british uh, side um and then spends his sort of life we later learn working in polish naval intelligence right. um in scotland in fact and then my um, grandmother is left in poland with two with my two uncles who were 10 and 12 maybe and they're on the run for four years i mean the day of the of the, the war launching basically the lands are seized there's a death camp that's set up just up the road they are basically oh. sheltered they're polish catholics sheltered from house to house by friends you know they live on you know in flats above gestapo headquarters for times and are literally just being helped from house to house to house to move across and eventually my grandmother and uncles are sealed up to their waist in water um, and put on in a water container on the side of a ship that is destined for Sweden and they stand for 72 hours in this water container um, and um, are turned back once by the Gestapo come on board with dogs and this sort of thing and I think it's that experience hearing about her time on the run hearing about her escape hearing about her her families then living under communism and living under surveillance societies has made me you know it's no surprise that I've then gone to refugee camps or worked at Grenfell Tower or you know been part of taking legal cases against the government or wanting to sort of challenge the surveillance state because these things are emotionally still real to me yeah but I, I do think there's something about you i mean there are people who've had okay not 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 the same but similar stories who've taken a much easier route in life so that the bit about the bit about you it's not in your dna to be like this it's in your dna to to know about it um mm -hmm. but you've taken a decision and you've you've maybe met a mix of your own personal circumstances and you've you've decided you're going to do something about it which well, it's I think personally is, healed me as well as helped yeah. others yeah. You know, and I think that's the other thing is it's is we think that altruism is basically all about other people. And actually, the, the fascinating thing for me is finding that intersection of how you can show somebody that doing something for other people is also kind of so healing and so helpful for yourself. Yeah, totally. My goodness me. My goodness. So, um yeah, it seems a little bit uh, trite to just start talking about the rest of your career after that. <laughs> no, quite, don't. Uh, quite powerful. Let's, let's lighten this up, Eric. You know, come so on. Then we you went to uh, director of campaigns at Shearer Action. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> I mean, great charity. And I was totally, totally unprepared. I mean, talk about sort of emotional time bomb. You know, I, I, I won't go into all the details, but just to say that when you haven't done that inner emotional work and then you get into a leadership role and it's suddenly very demanding and you've got teams that are expecting so much from you and you're not able to do that yourself that's hard yep. then throw in you know a a, a a new management team that was kind of storming norming and forming and was kind of working out what powers are going to be retained and what powers are going to be sort of you know held on to by founders and then at the third level you've basically got the southern rail crisis where basically the government make yet another brilliant decision about transport and yet again a bunch of sort of you know train drivers and sort of guards go on like a protracted three-year industrial dispute that means that you you know often spend four hours a day standing and something had to give and after nine months it was really clear that we were uh, our relationship status was complicated yeah. as taylor swift says we are never ever 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 getting back together um, i mean i have a lot of love for those people they're they're lovely people but it's just some harmonics are just not are just not, not, good. not meant to be yeah absolutely. it's sometimes not the right time and so i basically left i didn't have another job to go to thank god i had a more successful wife eric and I basically just went out and I chatted to 50 or 100 people. Yeah. And I just said, you know, what do you think of me? Yeah. And I mean, do you want to guess what some of them said? <laughs> I have guessed what some of them said. Fine. Yeah, so people, people, were, people were already were saying things like, yeah, we don't really know what you do. Yeah. That was number one. Um, you're a bit of a curate's egg. You're a bit strange. You're very passionate. You get things done really quickly. Um, people talked a lot about the research I'd done before for them and how that had made a difference, sort of a practical, appreciable difference in their lives. And so I basically just said, OK, well, kind of research feels like a bit of a theme. What's it then like buying research? And they said, well, you know, it's basically pretty slow. It's pretty expensive. Um, often you get the senior people selling the work and the junior people doing the work. Yeah. And over the first three years of the organization, it was literally a total roller coaster. It was like, this is really great. I'll go, this is terrible. This has made like 12 quid. I'm literally, I've got 38p in my account. This is so bad. Then basically last year was like brilliant. It was like, this is really working. And then I got to just handed in my final accounts, 31st of March. And it was like, oh God, now the pandemic. And yeah. then literally the whole world. Yeah. Just changed, didn't it? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, so that was what you, so you set up, was it Outrageous Impact 2016, right? Correct. Yeah. So it'd be the fifth year this coming year. The fifth year this coming year. So what, what are the kind of things that you're involved in? So the pandemic does hit. Clearly you don't stop. You've got way too much energy and way too much to, to say and think about the world. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing? What did you do last year? What was your area of focus? Did you, did you pivot? Did you uh, adapt? What happened? Um, yeah. So, just give me oh my god no it's fine i'm just hoping that my wife isn't trying to sign in to uh to this at the same time for my daughter nice. zoom uh thing i'm just i'm just gonna basically just tell her just give me one second i'm so yeah, sorry sure, sure, sure. that's all right no worries no worries there's always the first time for everything on cast we don't want that Sorry. 
And we're not editing that out. That's that's just the uh, cast gold. Well, that's going to be really slick, isn't it? It's you know, very like slick. The, the 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 reality of sort of uh, you know a, uh, a a modern technology as my uh, as our daughter, uh, who always operates on uh, sort of uh, these sort of uh, virtual forums under the stage name of Peggy, uh, nice. basically tries to uh, FaceTime one of her friends through this Zoom <laughs> account, which would be brilliant. So then suddenly yeah. you'd have a, a child's face appear rather than mine. yeah. Yeah. with my voice i'm tempted to leave this in because it's real life and that's yeah. what uh, that's what this is all about so we'll just Thank leave you. that in. that was good fun no you were you were uh, just remind me of the question eric i'm so sorry um so so 2020 hit as you said yeah so five years trading um and suddenly it hits and you think crikey just as you'd handed in your accounts COVID hit but so what did you do did you yeah, did so you just readjust pivot three, whatever three things really number one is I um, set up this uh, crisis connections uh, initiative, which kind of connected a um, hundred professionals with 40 not for profits for free one hour advice sessions, which was really, you know, received super well. So that was kind of a pro bono initiative. Second thing was I was just homeschooling a lot. And that was really, you know, for everyone was kind of just, a, you know, a hammer blow, but you know, yeah. you get through it. And then the third thing was, it just made me realize I didn't want to work by myself anymore. Um, and so I have been, you know, and there were pro projects have, have really started to come back now, which has been fantastic. But it made me realize that kind of just being a sole founder is so hard. And actually, you need those people around you to start to, to really make progress. And so, you know, now in discussions with, with, with a potential business partner around an evolution of what our two things might become something joined as it were and it's a bit early to say what that might be but you know very much in that exploratory phase and I think one of the things that I've been so pleased about you know I've got to know so many lovely people you know yourself Priscilla you know colleagues in in the US all through LinkedIn and it's been it's been incredible the sort of depth and the speed with which those relationships have actually developed yeah. and I think one of the things that I've really noticed is that LinkedIn done right helps you build that trust super quickly because you start sharing about yourself not oversharing like I've done on this podcast but it's just because you've got such a friendly face Eric you know but also sharing face for radio a face enough for radio. yeah I've been told the same actually yeah. maybe we could uh, do the face <laughs> for radio twins um, but it does allow you to build that level of trust really really quickly with yeah. people and I think that's what I'm really excited about now is saying you know coming to the end of this financial year how am I going to build something that's going to be of a significantly larger scale and impact than what I've done to this point? And that's really very exciting and been that ability for me to trust other people has really been garnished just by hundreds of small, tiny, positive sort of repetitive actions on LinkedIn, which is almost in some ways the sort of best desensitization process for a soul that perhaps at times found you know like I said to you in the in the lead up flirting or dissimulation or you know controlled substances the best way of basically pushing away difficult feelings you've got to trust people to make good progress you know yeah big time big time um this is a really crappy question to ask anyone particularly with uh, with someone who's got so many uh, uh thoughts and opinions about what goes on in the world as yourself but uh, if you could wave a magic wand 
and sprinkle fairy dust around the world, what's the one thing you'd really like to tackle? The one, the thing that's at your top of the list of priorities, and I know your list is probably pretty long, wrong about what we do incorrectly as humans. What would you like, what would you like to be able to fix if you could immediately? I mean, I realize as I get older, I have more questions than answers. That's that's yeah. the first thing. So I really, it's not easy to say because so many of them are sort of symptoms of a problem rather than the root causes. Right. I would actually say that if I could solve one problem, I would help, I'd like to support men to be more emotionally available in every relationship that they're in. Wow. Whether okay. that's as Whether that's as fathers, whether that's as leaders, whether it's yeah. as not being leaders, whether it's saying, you know what, I, I'm not the person who should be speaking right now. I'm the person who should be shutting the fuck up, standing in the corner, saying nothing, listening and learning and not saying a damn thing. Because we think it's so much about talking and so much of it is actually about listening. And, you know, I, I said to you before, this is like my first ever podcast where I've actually been the interviewee mm -hmm. you know and it's been very strange and I think you know that looking for example at, at things like the George Floyd you know murder um, looking at things like the um, at, at the Capitol storming in, in the states looking at the continued problems of police brutality so many of those issues come from a patriarchal male you know, violent, male, emotionally unavailable starting position that just says the only way I can relate to the world is through violence. Mm. And I think that, you know, I've been there. It's a bad, bad place to be. And actually, if we don't like face those own demons about the violence that 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 lack of emotional availability causes, it it, it has seismic impacts on the whole world um so that was kind of 15 things rolled into one but i think if we could make men more open about talking about their emotions we'd have happier kids we'd have happier workplaces we'd have happier politics we'd have a happier world you know my goodness my goodness that is uh, a fascinating answer i thought you were going to go i can't answer it there but my god you you, you pulled that rabbit out of the hat that's beautiful <laughs> well yeah beautiful it really is no it, it is fabulous um Listen, um, we're, we're probably, we, we could do, uh, I've only ever done a one, two part crux cast, but I think um, I think what you and I need to do is make a date to come back, maybe uh, summertime or something and, and rerun this, if that's okay. But um, you were talking about some of the, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it's either some work you're doing uh, with some of the ladies that you were talking about that have been through violence and all of that, or maybe it was podcasts yeah. that you've got coming up. Yeah. Just want to walk us through that because that's that's fabulous. Absolutely. No, it's been a real, it's been a real sort of, uh, you know, honour to be on, on your show, Eric. So thank you so much. And yeah, so this is basically a three part series that's probably going to come out around International Women's Day right. um, with a fantastic co-host uh, called Kirsten Walkham, who uh, basically is based at a crisis management firm called Smith & Company. And essentially, we have done three interviews around viol tackling violence against women and girls. So first episode is going to be 
two women in con in conversation about good friends of theirs who uh, who's um who were murdered by men so that's episode one so that's an incredible discussion about you know um violence around um redemption around you know the, the, the sort of emotional time bomb that this leaves for family and friends um as well as media portrayals and other things second episode is going to be with a harvard professor who basically uses or has looked at the impact of traditional tea ceremonies in uh in ethiopia for tackling uh, and hosting discussions about intimate partner violence so between men and women husbands and wives and then the third is basically with the incredible anti uh, sort of female genital mutilation uh, campaigner Nimco Ali um, talking about um, her life and and her sort of genesis doing this sort of really really difficult work about you know some of the um, you know vitriol she faces speaking out in the public domain as a very um, sort of incredible you know female campaigner um, so yeah that's coming probably around March time outstanding and where can people hear the podcast where's your where is your your source so i'm on all disreputable podcast channels and the show is called the outrageous impact show and uh yeah it's uh it's just been so strange and so like empowering and disempowering at the same time to be like the interviewee rather than the interviewer <laughs> like i want to just be like the sort of controlling puppet yeah. master but just sort of having to be here just to be like just talk about these things has also been such a brilliant brilliant experience and you've been a very sort of able guide and host Eric. oh so thank, thank you, you thank so you so much no it's been brilliant. i'll never brilliant. forget my first <laughs> never forget your first <laughs> so um people can get you from a sort of uh an engagement perspective so there's the podcast people can find you on all the disreputable podcast sources but if people want to talk to you about uh, some of the things that you do, that I guess LinkedIn's the right channel, right? Please, that'd be wonderful. So it's spelt O L S Z O W S K I. Um, and uh, you'll also hear me doing a very uh, interesting pronunciation of my surname, uh, inspired by Nigella Lawson and her pronunciation of the word microwave. Uh, <laughs> when you click that little button that basically uh, shows uh, the pronounce your surname yeah. feature. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I would ask you to go and click on my little microphone because I've left a little interesting message for you Have as you? well. So is it an Easter egg? It's it's a little Easter egg. Yeah, I it's a MacGuffin. It. It's a MacGuffin. Yeah, absolutely. Eric's MacGuffin. That's good. <laughs> That's the title for your podcast. Listen, you you probably won't like this because uh, you are. Um, uh, I've met people like you before, and you are a you're a sort of vanguard. You are charging ahead this energy and all of that. But I don't know if you've ever looked in the mirror. He probably won't and said that what you're doing is truly beautiful and people like me should listen to people like you because you're not doing this for jollies you're not doing this for a dopamine hit you're not doing this for likes and comments really i don't think uh patrick i think you're doing this because it's 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 what you were put on this earth for so uh we need we need more people like you and we need more people like me who've who've just clattered through and got to the age of 50 with their head down listening to music and watching films and going, isn't life great and skiing down mountains and all of that to actually, you know, people like my wife who who's had a bit of an epiphany and that she turned 40 a couple of years ago and is becoming a person like you who's more tuned in. So I get it from her. I get it from people like you. And that makes me then become more interested and it just sort of passes on. And it's like a gift that you give to another person to, 
to wake them up and say, look what's happening in the world. So please keep it going. It's been a joy to talk to you. Well, it's been my real pleasure. And I would just also say that it's it's strange because, you know, it's how you know, you've also impacted me. So, you know, I've been always so taken by everything, you know, you're doing online and your openness and other things like that. So it's been, it's, it's a real uh, honor to be on your show. So thanks so much. Awesome. We will catch up soon. I will tag uh, in all the appropriate places, tag you in so that people can uh, reach out and get in touch. And uh, I won't say goodbye. I'll say till next time. Goodbye. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye.